Good morning, Deep Run family. Good morning. This me also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. What a blessed way to conclude somebody's letter. We began this series in in the winter, in January, we were meeting at the Ag Center, the Agricultural Center, because we just um, suddenly couldn't meet here. We had a small group of people and we opened up the book of Ephesians and, and began to take a look at it. And I said on that day that nothing is greater than grace for the health of a church. We think about many things that we need as a church, uh, uh, financially, physically, materially, socially, uh, but nothing is greater than grace for the health of the church. And we've talked about how God's grace, his, his gifted, unmerited, unearned favor upon you, how grace causes uh, an emergence in our lives, an emergence from death into life, from, from our doubts into hope, an emergence out of our personal divisions and conflicts into reconciliation, and, and even an emergence out of our fears into an assurance that only God can offer us, an emergence from worldliness to godliness, an emergence out of darkness into light. And we've called this series Grace Emerging because that's exactly what the grace of God does. It emerges, it, it comes into view in a person's life, in a family, in a church, and then through us into our communities and into our neighborhoods and workplaces and into our extended families and of course, the world over. And so Paul concludes his, his letter to the churches in the area of Ephesus. He concludes his letter with these words in verse 24 of chapter six, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And since Paul closes with the idea of love, I wanna talk about that theme today. I wanna talk about love. I, I would briefly like to mention first two conceptions of love in our society. Uh, uh, two visions for what love should be in, in the world in which we live. Uh, love, first, uh, I want to talk about love as defined by instinct. Uh, the idea that love is a human instinct. So an agnostic person or an atheist might say something like, and, and I'm actually quoting from a chat room online, um, that love is an adaptive benefit for our species. Quote, that our brains have evolved to produce hormones that create love experiences that are no more than neurobiological reactions. Love is a chemical sensation that we experience that has evolved in the human species so that it can protect itself and survive in this world. Love is an instinct, nothing more, 
than an instinct. If we have warm fuzzies about it, it's because that's what our bodies have been chemically altered over time to manifest. Love is an instinct. Here's another idea that's out there. Love is a license. Love is defined as a license in order to justify a person's impulses, their desires, and their personal choices. Uh, so the expression, I believe that love is love. Have you, have you heard that before? Have you maybe seen that in, in various places? Uh, I believe that love is love. That's actually a very clever statement. The statement, it, it's ambiguous, right? It, it's self-defining, it's, it's like a circle, it defines itself. So, so the ambiguity of the statement, I believe that love is love, it grants immunity from any objectivity, okay? I believe that love is love, it, it grants me an, an immunity to define love however I choose to based on my personal feelings and choices. Okay, so look, if, if love defines itself based upon my personal choices and needs, and my viewpoint, well, I can do whatever I want and call it love, right? So love is an instinct and love as a license. Now, the Bible says that love is personal, but it is not self-focused. Love is personal, but love is not self-focused. And the Bible is gonna help us see why that's true, why love is deeply personal more than anything in the universe, love is personal, but it is not self-focused. And we're gonna talk about how love defined by something else, defined as a work of God's grace, is actually our best hope. Love defined by grace is our best hope, not only for ourselves and our church, but also for our world, for our neighbors. Ephesians has been all about grace and we're going to allow grace to define what we understand as love. And so I'm gonna talk about how grace characterizes and qualifies love and what it is. So grace characterizes love as, first of all, sincere. The real deal, legit, authentic, honest. What you see is what you get. Love is sincere. But secondly, I'm gonna talk about how grace characterizes love as greater than any kind of version of love that our world offers us. So many definitions of love, some of them are very popular, some of them are catchy, some of them have developed a lot of momentum in the world and in our society, but nothing is greater than the Bible's understanding of love as defined by grace. Finally, I'm gonna talk about how grace characterizes love as eternal. It will never fail, it will never fade because it is based upon grace and nothing else. So we're gonna talk about how grace characterizes love as sincere, greater than anything else that's out there trying to define love, and how it is eternal. Okay, a sincere love. If you read Paul's letter and you finally get to the last few sentences, you discover that there is this sincere and contagious love that had been growing between the Apostle Paul and the Ephesians. And it becomes obvious in verse 21. We finally learn that this guy named Tychicus, who was an, an, an Asian Christian, maybe even one of the Ephesians at one point himself, 
Tychicus was one of Paul's ministry associates. Think of Paul having a small mission team that he went around the world with, and amongst them at some point was Tychicus. Well, it turns out that Tychicus is the one that's delivering this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. You can learn about this guy, by the way, and only in passing. You, don't, you just get little glimpses of these people. Acts chapter 20, the book of Colossians as well, also Paul's second letter to Timothy, and Paul's letter to Titus. They all mention Tychicus in passing. And in short, this is what, we have to piece it all together, but we discover that Tychicus traveled with Paul on the last leg of Paul's third missionary journey. And Paul, you know, when Paul bid his final farewell on the beach to the, the church of Ephesus, if you read Acts 20, you know this was, this was a, a big, gut-wrenching uh, tears flowing, farewell. Uh, he had spent years with the Christians in Ephesus and, and they thought they would never see him again and they probably didn't. And, um, and on the beach, they said their farewells to one another and they prayed and Tychicus was there. He witnessed Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesians, probably around 57 AD. A few years later, a little bit after AD 60, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Tychicus was with him in Rome and then traveled from Rome to Asia Minor, Asia Minor, likely with three letters, with the Ephesian letter, also with a letter to the Colossians. A lot of similar language in those two letters. And finally, a letter to a man called Philemon. This was Tychicus. And so Paul tells them, Tychicus will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So we see now, not only had Paul written this marvelous doctrinal exposition for all of history, but quite simply, Paul was cultivating a long-distance relationship. He's not just writing this ama amazing theological treatise, he's keeping in touch with people that had been dear to him. He actually says that Tychicus, Tychicus is going to encourage your hearts, right? So the word, for, um, the word for encourage, I don't normally spout the Greek words, but this is important. The Greek word for en encourage, the original manuscript was parakaleo. Have you ever heard of its noun cognate? Have you ever heard the word paraclete? A lawyer, an advocate a counselor. It's the very word that the Gospel of John uses to employ meaning to the Holy Spirit. We read about it earlier in our profession of faith, how Jesus was going to send a comforter, was going to send a helper to be with us forever, the Holy Spirit, and John used that word, paraclete. So Tychicus was not merely a courier delivering a letter between parties. He was Paul's trusted companion who loved the Ephesians as much as Paul had loved them. And why am, why am I spending all this time talking about Tychicus? Well, because this is an illustration of Christian fellowship. Fellowship among us is an extension of how God's Spirit encourages each of us. Jesus sends his Spirit to encourage you, to indwell you forever. It's, it's like it is Jesus sending himself the Holy Spirit within you. And in a way, Paul sends himself by sending them Tychicus. 
You won't, when, when you love people, you may have experienced, when you love people and you can't be with them, you send somebody that means something to you and means something to them. Have you ever done that before? I can't be with you, so I'm sending so-and-so. They're gonna tell you how I'm doing. And I know you trust them and I trust them. And in a way, it's like us being together. So um, a year ago, when my father-in-law was, was dying, he was in end-stage cancer and um, you know, we knew the end was probably days away. We had scheduled to be at our daughter's graduation, which was a thousand miles away from where my father-in-law was. And Becky couldn't be in two places at the same time. Have you ever, felt, you've ever, ever had a conundrum like that? What do I do? <laughs> do I be with my dad or do I support my daughter? What do I do? And so she did the best thing she could do. She asked our boys, who were by then driving age, she asked our boys, could you go be with grandpa and the family and we'll go to be with your sister? And in a way, like, that was the closest representation of herself that she could send to her father. Yeah? And in a way, she was sending herself by sending her boys. And, and there is a sense in which, now, by the grace of God, she was able to see her dad. But that is, in a sense, what Paul is doing. Paul's in prison. Scholars believe he got out and was in prison a second time, but right now, he's in prison. He doesn't know what's gonna happen next. He can't be with them. And so he's sending an extension of himself in Tychicus. And that is a beautiful illustration of Christian fellowship and the contagious, sincere type of love that takes place in a healthy church between Christians who love one another sincerely. And so John Stott makes this comment about the book of Ephesians. Nobody can emerge from a careful reading of Paul's letter to the Ephesians with a privatized gospel. You can't read Ephesians, Stott said, and come to the conclusion that it's just Jesus and you. It's just me and my American form of Christianity, my Bible on a rock in a flowery field with my cup of coffee, it's just Jesus and me for the rest of my life. John Stott says, no way. You can't read Ephesians and, and come to the conclusion that there is any such thing as a privatized gospel, for Ephesians is the gospel of the church. You see, have you noticed this? When outsiders bump into sincere, contagious Christian love, it surprises them. It, it is so unexpected. It is so not what they're used to. Uh, some of us from the Northeast and from New York who come to live here in Maryland are always shocked by how friendly everybody is. In the post office, at the grocery store, you're just trying to do your business, and somebody goes, hi, how are you today? Right, and you go, what? Oh, I I'm fine, how are you? Like, you just, where I grew up, nobody cares how you're doing today. And so for somebody rambling to say, how are you today? And you're just trying to buy a book of stamps. You know, it's, it's shocking and disarming, and, and then it, it warms you up. When outsiders experience this sincere, contagious love that exists among healthy Christians, it is surprising. You know, why is this type of love that we see illustrated at the end of this letter that, letter that you know, some of us have experienced in this environment over the last eight years, why is this type of love so striking? 
that it just disarms people, you know? They experience, they, they come in here on a Sunday morning or they go to your community group or they go to your Bible study or your breakfast group or your retreat or your party, you know, the guys get together, have steaks or women get together for tea and, 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 and you bring a friend and, and they're just surprised. They didn't expect people to behave this way. They're just real and I'm accepted and there are no strings attached and I don't feel like I have to earn my way into this group. It just, I'm accepted as I am for who I am. Why, and, it, and, and, and you know, people just melt. Visitors just melt when they experience that. You know that it has happened here at times. You know that it has happened. Why, why does that happen? Because this type of love is greater and more enduring than any type of love our world and our society promotes. Love is a big topic today. Uh, but this type of love is more enduring. And it is greater. Paul goes on to say in verse 23, peace be to the brothers. He means brothers and sisters. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues by mentioning grace in the next verse, and I'll get to that later. But think about these themes, these mighty themes, peace, love, faith, grace. These mighty themes have occupied the prime real estate in Paul's letter. It's where he began, and it's where he's ending now. Peace, love, faith, grace. But where do they all come from? Where do these amazing ideas and concepts come from? It's very simple. Look back at verse 23. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greater, more enduring source for love than anything we can offer. Our philosophy in human civilization, our art, our politics, even your family of origin. The type of peace and love and faith and grace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ outshines, outlives them all. See, the problem with our society's visions of love what our society thinks and promotes and wants love to be about is that they cannot generate these mighty themes. The world's definitions and practice of love cannot generate in people peace and faith and grace. Have they? I'm, it's not a rhetorical question. Ask yourself. Read the paper, see what's happened in our own society. For all the talk of love and all the talk of peace, there's not a lot of peace in love. Love as an instinct will, will really just produce in you a self-preserving type of a love, a, a, uh, a clan protecting, a tribe protecting type of love. You take care of yourself and the people around you, the people you know best, love as an instinct is, is a defensive type of love that looks out for yourself and the people closest to you. Well, naturally, that's not gonna produce a broader sense of peace and grace in our society. Think about love as a license, on the other hand. Love as a license actually produces, ironically, an intolerance toward other definitions of love that are in contrast to yours. If you define love as what you want love to be and you bump into somebody who says, I disagree with your definition of love, what happens now? You call them a bigot. You call them narrow-minded. 
because they don't accept your definition of love. Looking at love as a license to live as you choose to express yourself is in reality not love at all. But the Christian lives by grace. We live by grace and this truth guides us in our pursuit of love because grace defines love as God's commitment to give you himself unconditionally. If you've been reading the book of Ephesians, you know that that's true. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know that this is true. That God defines love as his commitment to give himself to us unconditionally. So what do we do with love defined as an instinct? Well, you don't need it. You don't have to self-preserve because God preserves you in his love. You see that? What happens to love as a license? You don't need that either. You don't have to self-define because God redefines you in his love. You have to ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves, are we coddling other loves instead of that greater and more enduring love? You know, as Sarah showed the kids, you know, that, that blanket, that precious blankie, it made me think of Linus and all the cool, nifty things that Linus can do with his blanket. Um, are there good things that you love so much that they've replaced, you know, God's place on the throne of your heart? And, and it, it, we don't have to simply love things that are obviously dangerous for us and, and detrimental to our health and the well-being of others. We may love very good things so much that we lose the focus on the source of what makes all of this possible. Now, we want our church, we want Deep Run Church to be a loving community. And we want our visitors and our neighbors to sense that. And many times they have. It was so important to us at the very beginning. We want this, we want this church to be an expression of Christian transparency and community that is contagious, that is sincere, that people feel like they belong even before they believe, that we're going to embrace people so that we can contend for the truth of God in their lives and not the other way around. We were not going to contend with people so that maybe they'll embrace the truth of God. We've always wanted our church to be a loving community. And, 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 and here's the thing, though. Let's let our love, let's love others for Christ's sake, but never allow those loves to replace Christ. It's very tricky with religion, you know? I've heard these expressions. and We just had a really good congregational meeting last week. Some very encouraging things that God is doing. And, 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 and we say to one another, I, I love this church. I've heard the, that expression. I love my church. And that's wonderful. That's awesome. And I've, you know, I love my Sunday school teacher. I love, I love deacon so-and-so. I love my pastor. I, you know, that's awesome. But, but look, a healthy church is filled with the sentiment of people saying, I love Jesus. We're not being faithful simply to say, hey, well, we really love our church and we love each other and we love our pastor because we're setting ourselves up for failure because I'm going to disappoint you and you're going to disappoint one another. 
And we're not always gonna have the money to do what we want or the facility to do what we want. And people are not gonna like the way we approach things and they're gonna leave. A healthy church says, we love Jesus and never confuses anyone or anything or any ministry for him. Jesus, I love Jesus. Who said on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even unbelievers do the same? Fascinating how Jesus had insight on the way our world defines love. You see, anyone can love by instinct. Anyone can love their parents, their children, their dog, their cat, their tribe, their ethnicity. Anybody can love by instinct. Anyone, on the other hand, anyone can define love as a license to act and do and worship and serve however they want to act and do and worship and serve. But a love inspired by grace is different. That type of love gives, gives itself unconditionally to those whom you would not favor by instinct, you see. And this type of love does not seek a license to express itself, but it seeks a license to surrender itself. Grace gives love a license to surrender itself. That sincere and greater love will never fade and it will never fail for all of eternity. And so Paul concludes his wonderful letter to his friends, written under house arrest by saying, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love incorruptible. You know, New Testament scholars can't be certain what's incorruptible. When you read the passage, it's not obvious, and you really ultimately can't make a grammatical decision or a syntactical decision. What is he talking about? What is incorruptible? Is it, is it God's grace that is incorruptible, or is it our love for him that is incorruptible? How do you want to view this? What's incorruptible? God's love for you or your love for him? Which one? The cool thing is this is one of those times where you can say it doesn't matter because the answer is yes. The answer is both. If we've learned anything by reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that highlights the fact that God's eternal affection has been set upon you from before the foundation of the world and that nothing can change that, the answer is yes. God's love for us is incorruptible and our love for him is incorruptible. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, love never ends. But again, how do we define a love that never ends? We define it as given by a God who never ends. 
Love never ends because God never ends. And as the Apostle John said, God is love. And there is our greater, unfailing, unfading definition of love. Now listen, if you're, if you're not a Christian or if you're wrestling with whether you are and what is true, if there is no God and if there is no life beyond this life, if you really believe that or if you're tempted to believe that, then let's talk about what love means to you. There is no enduring love. If there is no God, if there is no life after this, then as the band Keen says in one of their beautiful but really sad songs, pitiable songs, love is the end. Not love is the goal, love is it. Enjoy it now because it's the only part of this life that makes life worth living. Love is the end. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in a final judgment and a final restoration of all things, then there is no enduring love. It is just a chemical instinct that you feel towards your child. It is just a chemical instinct that you feel towards your people. It is just a temporary definition of why you feel so passionately about who you are and what you have chosen to become. If that's you, then you believe in a meaningless sensation. You believe in a temporary trend that may be looked upon differently five years from now or 20 years from now. That won't outlast the ground beneath you. Do you realize that? If there is no God and if you have no assurance that there is anything after this life and you cannot believe that God is good and that God is loving, then, then you are basing your life and your dearest relationships and your, your greatest passions and your understanding of yourself, you're basing it on something that will not outlast the ground beneath your feet. And that version of love or those versions of love will not outlast evil and will not outlast hunger or poverty or war or conflict or sorrow. Is that really what you want to base your life on? Really? Please reconsider. You love your family, you love people, but you don't believe in God? Why do you love? Please reconsider your reasons. Because eternal and timeless is the love that we have for Christ because he loved us first. Jesus loved us beyond his instinct to protect himself by trying to find a way to allow that cup of death to pass from him. He asked, as a human being, it was his instinct to protect himself. And he said, what? Not my will, not my instinct, Father but yours. And Jesus loved us beyond his license, his just righteous license to make the rightful claim as the king of the universe and squash Pilate like a bug and crush Caesar like a grasshopper and 
crawl himself off that cross and just blast every one of those false accusers that put him there and judge you and I in sin for all eternity for not loving him as we ought. He had the license and the claim to defeat his oppressors, but he didn't. And so we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul opened up by saying, in love, he predestined us. See, this is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why love is defined by gracious sacrifice. Because in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, that means daughters too, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so, for the Christian, love is where we came from, and love is where we're going. Love defined by grace is our best hope, is our only hope for ourselves and for our neighbors and for this world. So let's love others for Christ's sake, but never allow those loves to replace Christ in us. And may all of our endeavors as a church be characterized by an incorruptible love for Jesus Christ. Because that's going to prove to our children and to our families and to our community that God's grace is real. So thank you for joining me and walking with us through this exploration of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's pray. Oh, our God... Thank you for your great love, how rich and how pure. Thank you that although we didn't earn it, although we do not deserve it, you from all eternity have gifted it to us. Thank you, Lord, that your love will never fail or perish, that heaven and earth may pass away, but the words of Jesus Christ, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Love one another as I have loved you. Thank you, Father, that those words will never pass away. Father, teach us to be a church that prizes Jesus above all things. And may we love one another in his name. Thank you for your abundant grace. Since it has saved us, may we walk in it. Amen.